All right, they're almost gone. It's good. Now, I don't pick on many people during my talks, but if you're really far away, I might. So just letting you know, those of you in the back, you guys are good. You're going to be really perfect. So this is good. All right. There they go. You get a little break. Excellent. Well, it is good to be here. Uh, although I wanted to clarify when Brenda introduced me as her old friend. I mean, come on, Brenda. We're, we've been friends for a long time, but to call me old and insult me like that, I don't know. It's kind of. Um, so I'm excited to be here. I was here, I think in April, we did some stuff on marriage. How many were here for that one? Anybody? A couple of you? All right. Um, so it's good to, to be back here at St. Odelia. It's a great place. Uh, and I have uh, gotten to know Brenda for many, many years, which is uh, nice to have that invitation. I, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about my family in just a moment. She mentioned that I, I have uh, 13 siblings. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, but I have two sons. My youngest son finally moved out. We are officially empty nesters at my house, uh, which is uh, both a good thing and a bad thing. We, we miss having him around. But when he was moving out, uh, we were going through his stuff and kind of cleaning out his room. And, and I came across a book, and I don't know where he got this book, uh, but it was, it was a great book, and I, I was started reading, reading through it, and I, I, kinda, I was laughing about it, so um, I kept the book. <laughs> I didn't give it to him. Uh, but it was this book. It was, it was called Letters to God. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Um, and uh, it's, uh, Stuart Hempel wrote this book. Basically, he just collected letters that kids wrote to God, and I just thought it'd be kind of fun to start out with, with some of these. Dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look that way, or was it an accident? Norma. <laughs> Dear God, please send me a pony. I never asked for anything before. You can look it up, Bruce. Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with not so much hair all over, Sam. Oh, gosh, let's see. Uh, in Sunday school, they told us what you do. Who does it when you're on vacation? Jane. Dear God, my brother told me about being born, but it doesn't sound right, Marcia. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I really prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> Dear God, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good there now. Jane, I love that one. This is my, one of my favorites. Dear God, I'm doing the best I can. Frank. Dear God, I love this one. Are you real? I would really like to know. Love, Callie. Aren't those beautiful? And our kids have these great questions about God, and, and uh, we're the ones that get to, to bring that to them. It's a kind of a, a, a fun thing. Uh, so I have two sons, uh, Dan and Tim. Dan is now married, which is really exciting. And uh, so now I have a daughter-in-law who I've actually known all her life. Our boys, our, our boys and, and Emily went to the same church. All, we grew up together, and so... Uh, it's kind of fun to have them. Uh, but uh, many years ago, we went to Yellowstone National Park, took a little vacation, drove out there. It was a long, long drive. And uh, when we finally pulled into Yellowstone, we had been in the car for a long time. The boys were kind of anxious. And we saw a 
uh, a forest ranger standing at the edge of the parking lot, and he was giving instructions to people about where to go. If you want to see the Old Faithful, you have to go this way. If you want to see the guys, or the other guys, go this way. The hot springs are down here. And, and just when we got there, a bus had emptied out. So there were all these people around waiting to, to, to find out where everything was. And so uh, we kind of waited our turn, and finally, we got up there, everybody had disappeared, and the ranger looks down at my son Dan, and he said, and son, what, what would you like? What are you looking for? And he looked up, and he said, I'm just looking for a bathroom. Okay, so sometimes we, we got to know what we really need, right? So uh, I don't know if you received an email from Brenda, but I, I put together a quick little survey, and I asked, what is it that you're looking for? When you come to a parenting seminar like this, what is it that, that you want? Because I know everybody's different, and I've worked with different parent groups uh, over the years in our ministry and doing youth ministry, uh, and I know that everybody's at a different age. So as I looked through those surveys that did come back, thanks for, for doing that, by the way, uh, I recognize that there's a lot of people with some different ages of kids, anywhere from you know, zero up to, uh, I think it was 17 or 18, something like that. Uh, and so as I looked through these things, I wanted to share a little bit about what you said you were looking for, and hopefully we'll be able to come, uh, come up with some things that will help you today. Uh, people, these are the, the responses that we got. We're looking for encouragement. Yep. We're looking for information. Ideas on discipline. Balancing life and parenting. Dealing with the tough issues. We want to know that we're not alone. We're looking for perspective. And one person, I love this, that said, I want to be more joyful in my parenting. I want to be more joyful. So what we want to do tonight is we want to look at how we can be, I want to make sure I get these right here, better parents, and bring up stronger kids. That's the goal, right? Um, so I get to work with uh, a lot of different age kids in our, in our family ministry. As Brenda said, we, we bring up about 80 families on these retreats. And uh, one of the great things that we do is we bring about 35 to 40 high school and college students uh, to come with us on these retreats. And they run the programs for uh, the little kids from infant through ninth grade. And so I get to work with these uh, older students as well, which is a great treat. Uh, somebody gave me this letter from a college student, and I thought I would read it to you uh, just to kind of give you um, an idea of where college kids might be at today. And the, the, the letter was from Molly, and it said this, Dear Mom and Dad, well, I've had a pretty tough week. A few days ago, our dorm burned down. The university officials have kicked me out of school because the fire started from a marijuana cigarette my new boyfriend and I were smoking in my room. Don't worry though, he said I could move into his apartment. He lives alone so there's plenty of room. I think it's a good move because the, the baby is due in a few months and we'll be able to share responsibilities. He's a really nice guy and I think you'll like him. I'll write again soon. Love, Molly. Now you can imagine how upset the parents were to get this letter. And then there was a PS. said, PS, none of the above is true, but I did get a D on my chemistry exam and I wanted you to keep it in the proper perspective. <laughs> oh, I love Molly, that was a great, great letter. So tonight what I'm hoping we can do is get some perspective. Maybe look at some, some new things in some new ways. 
Uh, I know parenting is uh, not an easy job. It's a rewarding job, it's a fulfilling job, but it's not easy, is it? In fact, my wife and I, Lynn and I, went out to uh, dinner on New Year's Eve. We just had a quiet night, and as we were sitting there, this woman walked by, and then she turned around, and she looked at us, and she looked again, and then she said, Pete, Lynn? And I was like, I don't know who you are. And then she said her name, and as soon as she said it, she was a kid in my youth group 30 years ago when I was doing youth ministry. And I'm like, Maura, how are you? And she said, good, and, and she talked for a minute, and then she sat down with us in our booth, and I said, well, how's your family? And she started telling me about her family, and then the tears started coming down. And then all of a sudden, I, as she's sitting next to me, she just put her head on my shoulder and began to sob. She said, it's so hard being a parent. She said, I've got two 15-year-old girls, and she's crying, and then she stops and kind of, she goes, was I this bad? Yeah, kind of. I had to be honest with her, and, and so we talked for a while, and, and she's doing fine, but she said it's, it's so hard when you go from this parenting thing, where she said just a couple of years ago, we would put on something on TV, and they would, they would come up to me, and they would cuddle next to me, and they'd throw a blanket over, and we'd, we'd watch this, and now they physically push me out of their bedrooms. She said, it's just so tough. And I said, hang in there. It will get better. It does get better. But parenting is a, is a tough, tough thing at times. And so what I want to do is I want to share some perspective with you uh, from kind of my perspective and share a little bit about that. Uh, I mentioned that I'm one of... 14 kids. I'm actually the seventh born and the ninth born. Think about that for a minute. So I grew up in a family with uh, actually nine kids at the time. Uh, mom and dad, great family. Uh, we were a large family, but most of the families in our neighborhood were, were like that. And then my dad passed away. I was 10 years old. And so I went from this stable two-parent family to a mom raising me on her own uh, with eight siblings. And, and all the things that go along with that. Uh, and so I lived in a single parent home for a while. And then a few years later, my mom married a guy, great guy, a widower with five kids. And so that's how I ended up with 13 siblings, being both the seventh born and the ninth born. And we all lived together in the same house. It was crazy, it was mayhem. Uh, I didn't even get to know some of the kids for a while, but uh, no, I did. But what really made it confusing is we had four birthdays on the same day, because we did have a set of twins. We had two Pauls and two Anns. Now, that got really confusing, especially when the phone rang, because we didn't have cell phones. The phone would ring, somebody would say, is Ann there? And I made the mistake early on of saying, which Ann, little Ann or big Ann? Don't do that with a sister, okay? All right? So and then I had to go by the, the last names after that. So... Anyway, so we had this, this family, and I could show you some pictures, but I will show you one picture. This is what happens when 14 kids get married and start having other kids. This is our Christmas photo this year, so um, that was a fun, fun time. We have to go to a hotel because there's no place else that will, will handle us. So anyway, uh, that's, that's the gang. It's a great gang. Um, but you know, parenting can be tough sometimes. We're, we're not always really good at it. I mean, we weren't, nobody was trained to be a parent. You didn't go to, anybody take college classes on how to be a parent? Probably not, you've maybe taken child psychology or something like that. 
Uh, when I was about eight years old, uh, my family's deci family decided to go on a vacation. Now, we didn't go on many vacations because there were nine children and two parents. We couldn't fit all in one car. And so it was really hard for our whole family to go on a vacation. But one time, my parents bought a new station wagon, but they hadn't gotten rid of the other one. So now we had two station wagons, and they thought this would be a perfect opportunity to go on vacation. We had some friends that had a cabin. They were going to gut the cabin and do a total remodel. And so they said, hey, let's let the Larsons use it. What could they do? And so we get in the cars and we start driving up north. We're driving up to Detroit Lakes. And uh, on the way up there, we stopped to, to use the bathrooms and get gas. And uh, I went inside and I was goofing around a little bit. I finally went in the bathroom. By the time I came out, the cars had moved from where the, they were at the gas pump. And so I started looking around to find out where they moved to. I started walking around. I was like, I can't find them. And so I made a loop all the way around the truck stop. I didn't see them, so I went back the other way. They were gone. My family left without me. Now, I didn't know what was going on in the car at the time because this is you know, all taking place without me being there. Uh, and, and so uh, I did what any eight-year-old kid would do in that sort of situation. I sat down on the curb and began to bawl my eyes out. And there I was sitting on the curb, and a couple of truckers come walking past. They see me. They look down. They said, what's the matter? I said, my family left me. They said, they'll be back, probably. <laughs> they, did. They, they were so good. They took me inside. They said, come on, and we'll wait with you. And they put me up on one of those stools, and they bought me hot chocolate and, and donuts. And I sat there and ate with a couple of truckers, uh, one on each side of me. I had so much fun. What I didn't realize is my, my parents were driving up the, the freeway. They're going up 94. Um, my mom had one of those, you know that movie, Home Alone, when she all of a sudden realizes there's, there's something wrong, and she's thinking, what is going on? And so she rolls up to my dad. My dad's driving one station wagon. She's driving the other station wagon. She rolls down her window. We had old cars, I guess. Um, she rolls up to him and says, do you have everybody? Now you have to remember how many had the station wagons where the very back seat faced away, right? And then there was this little compartment in between, and that's where you'd stick all the luggage and groceries. So you really had no idea who was in that back seat. She says, do you have everybody? He looks back, he goes, I don't know. And so they start doing a head count, and they realize they're short one. And they figure out, it's me. And so my dad says, all right, go to the next exit. We're going to turn around. My mom does not wait for the exit. She turns and right through the median and, and turns around the other way. Dad kept going the next five miles. But th they had been driving for about a half an hour. So I sat in the truck stop for probably an hour by the time they got there. And I remember when my mom opened up that door and she came running up and she's all sad. And I was kind of like, this is good. And uh, they spent the entire weekend making it up to me. And I let them. In fact, I used that even when I was in high school. I was like, Mom, can I use your car? She's like, no. I go, weren't you the lady that left me at a truck stop? She's like, here, take the keys. You, know, you can use these things as, as a, a you know, kid. So anyway, uh, we, we, we don't always do the, the best at our jobs. Sometimes we blow it, and that's, that's OK. That's OK. I remember one of my friends, Dan and Cheryl, were Dan had disciplined his son. He was you know, a little kid doing something, and Cheryl thought he had kind of over, overdone it a little bit. So they're having this discussion on discipline and how they want to do it. And John is in the car as they're discussing this, and he's, he turned, finally pipes up and he says, you guys don't know what you're doing, do you? And they said, you know what, we, we don't. We're learning. Your sister's going to get much better. 
okay? How many of you are firstborn in this room? Okay, yeah, we can tell. You guys are all, you know, feeling it because your, your parents gave it all to you, right? Um, so anyway, um, we, we don't always do the greatest, but we do the best we can. And God has a great plan for us because, you see, God has put us in charge of these children. He's, he's, he's purposely put those kids in your life, in your family, whether they're your, your natural-born kids or adopted kids. God has put them in your life for a purpose. I had a mom come up to me one time, um, and she was, uh, her son was a friend of my son's, and she said, I just don't know how to parent very well. She said, I, I read all these books by these parenting experts, and they just do everything so different. And I said, you know what? Don't worry about what the parenting experts say, because they're coming from one perspective. Realize that God has placed you in Kyle's life to be his mom, and you are the expert. I said, in fact, nobody knows your son better than you do. He's 15 years old. There's not a soul in this world other than your husband, but I don't even know if he knows as much as you do because you spent so much more time with him. I said, you are the expert at Kyle. You know everything about him. You know what makes him tick. You know what makes him happy. You know what makes him sad. I said, by the time you were four years old, he was four years old, he had a bachelor's, you had a bachelor's degree in Kyle. By the time he was five and a half, you had a master's. And by the time he was seven, you had a doctorate degree in Kyle. You had spent so much time focusing on him and learning about him, and you knew everything. Because God has placed you in that spot to be the expert. I love what it says in Psalm 127. Uh, if I can find it to you, where did I just put that? I slipped it past it. Um, oh, here it is. Um, nope, that's the other one I got. Oh, here. Um, he says, I knew you before you were born. I knew your children and your grandchildren. So, so God in, in Psalm 127 reminds us that our children are our best gifts that he's given to them given to us. And so we, we begin to think, what are we supposed to be doing as parents? What is our goal? And Lynn and I had this conversation when our, when our boys were young. What is it that we really want for our kids? What is it that we want to do as parents? And so we, we kind of wrote something down. It was in a journal that Lynn had, and I found it. Um, oh, this is, uh, I was just going to show you this too. I, I thought even um, sometimes not even, it's, it's not humans that have a hard time parenting. Um, this is a pretty picture of some ducks. And then, oops, uh, oops, uh-oh. Yeah, no ducks were hurt in the shooting of this, okay? The city rescued them. Uh, I, I was always wondering why the photographer didn't try to stop the ducks, okay? Uh, but anyway, this is what Lynn and I came up with. This is our, our kind of mantra. We said, we want to raise capable, self-reliant, moral adults who love God, love others, and want to glorify God with their lives. We wrote that when our kids were little because that's what we wanted for them. And so that's what we sort of started figuring out what we want to do. You know, when we think about the goal of parenting, I've asked uh, families before, I've said, what do you want for your kids? And most parents will say, I want my kid to be what? Happy, yeah. I mean, who doesn't want your kid to be happy? It's a great, great thing. Now, if you asked parents in Japan what they wanted for their kids, they didn't say happy. What do you think they said? They wanted their kids to be? What was that? 
Successful, absolutely. It's interesting, when they asked the same question in the 1950s to parents in America, they had a different answer. You know what they said? We want our kids to be good. We want our kids to be good. You see the difference? Because when our kids are good, they're joyful. And see, what we've done is we've, we've substituted joy for happiness. But I don't think that's what God wants us to do for our, for our kids. I think he wants more for our kids. So Lynn and I have talked about what it is to, to have greater joy as a parent. And there's a, there's a scripture verse that I love. Um, and this is from Deuteronomy. And, and this is a verse that uh, Jesus knew well. He says, love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you, and then get them inside of your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up until the, the, the morning, uh, till, the, till you fall in bed at night. Tie them on your hands and, and on your foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. This is what God is calling us to, to, as parents, continually remind them of God's love, of God's law, of, of what God has done for us. That's what we're called to do, to put God on in a, in a stronger foundation. One of the things that, um, this is the other verse that I love, that Lynn and I have talked a lot about. Um, it's from 1 John 3. It says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in truth. And that's so true for us, even to today. When, when we hear our boys, like, they'll, they'll come over for dinner and it's like, hey, what'd you do today? They're like, ah, I went to church. I'm like, great, feels so good. That, that you as an adult are going to church. Now, that didn't always happen. There was a period of time when they were in college, they're kind of like, oh, I don't need to do that anymore. Uh, but we're so glad that they're doing that. But how do we build that foundation for kids and for our families? One of the things that we did uh, when I was doing youth ministry is we used to take kids on mission trips. And we'd go out to Appalachia with 28 kids and four vans, and uh, we'd go off to different houses and do different projects. And I remember uh, pulling up to this one house, and as we got out of the van, um, the, the kids kind of looked at the house, and it was a pretty run-down house. And there was, there was one girl in our group, and her name is Tanya, she was a sophomore. And I remember her saying to one of her friends, she's like, oh, we could do so much to this house. What, you know, if we painted it and then took out those dead bushes in front and planted some new stuff, it could look really, really good. And I was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. That would make a huge difference. But I said, there's a greater problem that they've asked us to address this weekend or this week. I said, there's no foundation on this house. And they didn't really understand what that meant, but what they had done in this house is they had taken, they had taken a, a piece of land that they were able to rent. They cut down the trees uh, where the house is going to be, but they didn't get rid of the stumps. They took the logs from the trees, they laid them on top of the stumps, and then they built the house on top of that. And 12 years later, what happened? The stumps started to rot. They started to fall in. And now the house is leaning over. And I said, our job this week is to go in there and put a new foundation underneath. So we, we dug big holes, we filled them with concrete, we put concrete blocks, we, we jacked up the house, and we got it back up on a foundation. Now, 
we, we are fortunate in Minnesota, most of us have homes that are built on a solid foundation, and that's our houses. But the question is, are, are our homes on a solid foundation? When I was doing uh, youth ministry, I remember one night I was at a McDonald's and I uh, was hanging out with some of the high school kids after our youth group, and uh, in walked some of the, the junior high kids, who I didn't know that well, they were part of the junior high program, but they came up to me and they said, Pete, come here, we need to talk to you. And so I went over and I said, what's up? They said, you gotta go outside and talk to Peter. I was like, what's, what's wrong with Peter? They say he just got cut from the hockey team. You see, hockey tryouts had just gone on, and they had all gone over to the arena, and uh, back then what they did is they, they just put the list up of all the kids who made it, so the kids would all have to go over there together, and they would see who, who made it. It wasn't a, a great system. Uh, Peter's out in the parking lot, <clears throat> and they said he's talking about killing himself. And so I went out, and I said, Peter, what's, what's going on? He said, I, I can't go home. I said, what do you mean you can't go home? He said, my parents have spent so much money on hockey this year to make me a goalie, and now I got cut. I said, trust me, Peter, you'll be, you'll be fine. He said, no, you don't understand. I went to a goalie camp for six weeks this summer. We, I, they bought all this new equipment. I can't go home. And I said, Peter, I'll go with you. So we went back to his house. His dad opened the door as he was coming in. He's like, what's, what's up? Because he saw me. And Peter said, I, I didn't make the team. And the dad exploded. And he you know, slams up and down. He stormed off. Uh, Peter was right. You see, that house was not built on a solid foundation. It was paint and landscaping. On the outside, they looked great. They looked like a great family. But I knew inside they were struggling. Now, I'll tell you about another family. This is a little guy named, guy named Brian. Brian played football, and uh, he was playing at Edenbury High School in the time where they were winning championships every, every other year or so. And uh, Brian had been working really hard to, to make it into the starting lineup. In the senior year, the coach said, yep, Brian, you're the, you're the starting linebacker for the team. And he was so excited. And then the first game came, and, and Mary and Tim, his parents, and good friends of mine were sitting up in the, the stands, and they looked out, and Brian wasn't starting. All of a sudden, there was a sophomore in his spot. And Brian didn't even get in the game that night. And my friends were, were devastated. They just didn't know how he was going to respond to that. And so when he came home, they were like, oh, Brian, we're, we're really sorry. We, we know how hard you work. I said, yeah, I guess he's just a little bit better, and they, they wanted to bring in some youth. And, and so they were like, gosh, we're really sorry. He said, hey, but something really cool happened. They said, well, what was that? And he said, well, before the game started, the captains came up to me, and they said, hey, Brian, we know that faith is a huge part of your life and that you love the Lord. He said, I do. They said, we want you to be the, the, the pastor for our team and to pray before all the games this year. He said, oh, I'll do that in a heartbeat. And so he said, my, my new job is not linebacker, but I, I'm the guy that's praying for this group. And he took that on. He loved it. He ended up playing. The, the other kid did get hurt, and Brian stepped in and, and did a great job. But, but that's a house that's not built on paint and landscaping but it was built on a solid foundation. Brian's parents had raised him to love the Lord. And it didn't matter when these tough things came, and it was still tough, but that wasn't the only thing. And so we talk about what is that foundation that we want, we want to have? What does that look like? 
Well, one of the things that I found in, in um, as, as Lynn and I have kind of gone through this, and now we're, we're kind of on that other side. We sort of have figured out, okay, we're, we're sort of done. Uh, not completely. We're, we're still in there coaching as we, we need to. But um, to lay that foundation is one of those things that is, is so important. So what I, what I want to do tonight is I want to give you some uh, tips on how you might be able to lay a foundation. Uh, I just put a new driveway in my front of my house this year, and uh, they spent a lot of times, a lot of time preparing uh, the area for the foundation, uh, and then to get it right. And uh, one of the things that I, I realized is, and especially this winter, it's been so icy, is they said you can't put salt on it because salt will ruin the foundation in the first three years. And so right now we're dealing with a little bit of icy driveway. And so some of the stuff that I share with you tonight, you're going to go, man, that's really hard stuff. But if it's going to build a solid foundation, a better foundation, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Now I know that there are some of you in here who are uh, single parents, uh, but I want to, in a minute I'm going to talk about one of the parts of the foundation that, that deals with the couple's um, that are, are married and doing it together, uh, because in some ways that's more difficult. I have three sisters who uh, are raising kids uh, on their own. One is divorced, uh, one never married, um, and then one is a widow. And so I've talked to them and, and kind of helped uh, in, in whatever ways I can as they're uh, raising their kids, and they're doing a great job. And while my, one of my sisters said, you know, it's, it's actually in some ways, it's easier for me to parent uh, my kids alone because I don't have to I can do it in my style, I can do it in my way. And I said, well, yeah, you do, you do have that, uh, which is a benefit. But for those of you who are, are married, I want to just say this, that it's, it's important that you, to lay a solid foundation for your kids is that you work together in your marriage, that you build a strong marriage first. If you are uh, running a company and you had a partner and the partners never talked about what the company was doing, that company would go under pretty quickly. Okay, so I want to encourage you, and this is what we talked about when I came uh, this, this spring, is to, to focus on your marriage. Uh, do that as your number one priority. It kind of reminds me of when I'm flying in the, in the airplanes, and they always have that, that thing, if, you're, if the, we lose cabin pressure and the oxygen masks come down, put your own on first, then focus on your kids. I think that goes the same here. Sometimes we get so focused on our kids that we forget about ourselves. We forget about uh, what we need to be strong for them. So that's, that's the number one thing. Um, let me pull these up here. I forgot I had them on the screen. Um, so focus on your marriage. The second one is to love unconditionally. You know, I see so many kids um, that are loved conditionally, and I hear them talk about it. Uh, we, we did a camp with high school kids a couple of years ago, and uh, the speaker, a friend of mine, was telling the kids about this website. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's called postsecret.com. And people will write into it, and they'll just tell their you know, secrets that they don't want to tell anybody else. And you know, then people can read them and respond to them. And so we, we did this with the kids. We had postcards, and we said, hey, if you want to just write uh, uh, something that's on your heart, on your mind, that you've never really told anybody, we're going to pray about it for you. And i got to tell you, it, it the comments that the kids had to say on these cards blew me away. A lot of them were their own struggles with anxiety and depression and, and the different things that go along with that. But a lot of it, too, was the relationship with their parents, how they felt like they could never do anything right in their parents' eyes. 
that that love was conditional. And so I think God is really calling us to love our kids unconditionally, to love them the best that we can. Our kids need our encouragement, not our criticism, right? They need to be loved unconditionally. Not long ago, when Lynn and I sat down, we tried to find a movie. We ended up watching the movie Spanglish. Anybody seen that movie Spanglish? Well, there's a one, one scene in there where the, the girl, who's just as sweet as can be, her mom comes in with two big bags of, of clothes that she had just bought, and the girl's all excited, and the mom's like, oh, I was big sale, we're gonna, you're gonna love it. As the girl starts pulling them out, she starts trying them on, and they don't fit. And she's like, these, these aren't my size. And the mom says to her in the movie, it just breaks my heart, Tia Leone is the mom, and she says, I know you can do it. I know you can lose that weight. She had bought in all these beautiful clothes, hoping that her daughter would, would, would lose the weight. That's that loving conditionally. Um, and so kids, kids need our love unconditionally. And I, I know we do that, um, but they need to know that we, we, we want that for them. And, and so do that. I th okay, the next one I think is, um, oh, I had the video, I, I'm not gonna play the video, but um, have core values. Know what they are. Do you know what your core values are as a family? Have you ever sat down and talked about it? These are the things that are important to us. We did this when our, our oldest son was probably about eight years old. Uh, we were at a camp and we heard somebody talk about their, their family mission statement. I said, well, we don't, we don't have a family mission statement, do we? And he said, no. So we created one that looks like this. Now, it's a little hard to see, but what we basically did is we, we said, okay, what are the key values that we think are important? And, uh, you know, Dan was about eight, so he was able to, to be part of it a little bit. Tim was only four. He didn't really get it. But we talked about different things, faith, hope, uh, honesty and integrity, compassion, Laughter, patience, loyalty, responsibility, forgiveness, knowledge and wisdom, sharing, caring, joy. These were the things that we came up with as a family. We said, this is what we want to be about. And one of the things that we recognize is that when these values are clear, decisions are easy. When these values are clear, decisions are easy. And I remember uh, at, at some point later on, uh, we had this thing uh, framed and hanging in our front hallway. And so when people come into a house, they see this is what we're about. Not a big deal, but it, it, it works for us. And there was, a, there was a time where Tim was probably about nine years old, and, and I had this feeling he wasn't being completely honest with us about something. And so I said, hey, Tim, come on down here. And I, I pointed to our frame, and I said, have you, ever, have you ever seen this? He goes, yeah, I've kind of seen it. I don't think I've ever really read it. I said, look at, look at number four talking about honesty, integrity. I said, what do you think that means? And he says, I don't know, that we always tell the truth. And I said, yep, that's what we try to do. No matter what the consequences, you're still gonna be loved, I'm still gonna be loved, but we wanna be honest. And he goes, uh, okay. And he started walking away, and I was like, all right, well, we'll see what happens. And then he turned around, he goes, um, hey, hey, Dad, I need to tell you about something that happened at school. Said, oh, cool, let's sit down. And we talked about it. You see, when, when kids know what the values are, it makes it so much easier for them. And this is an easy thing to do. You don't need to take any classes to do it. You just sit down and go, what are the things that are important to us as a family? Let's come up with that. Let's write those out. What does that look like? 
family mission statement, easy, easy thing to do. Those are the, those core values. Um, one of the things is, as you go through these, these different core things is to recognize that your kids are growing and changing all the time. And so when you're, when you're raising your kids, you're having to realize that you're, you're going to have to change how you parent throughout the time. Okay? You're going to change differently between both your different kids. If you have one kid or two kids or five kids or six kids, they're, they're all different, right? Have you ever thought, my first kid, I, I did this and it worked great, this doesn't work on the second kid. And so you have to realize that often you have to, to change um, what you're doing. And part of it is as kids get older, uh, they, they are ready for more responsibility. Um, one of the things that, that um, we tried to do when our kids were growing up is sort of figure out what were things that were um, things that, that they could choose, what are the things we'd have to talk about, what were things that we sort of said, these just are non-negotiables. And so we, we did sort of this red light, yellow light, green light sort of thing. And the red light were things that we sort of said, hey, this is outside of our values. These are things that we're just not going to do. And so there's no discussion about these things. Uh, there, there are certain things that no matter, you can ask us a hundred times and the answer is going to be no if that's not something we choose for you. In fact, when, when our first son was, uh, when Lynn was pregnant with our first son, she was reading in this book and said, did you know, did you know, honey, that, that the baby can hear your voice in the womb? And so I said, well, perfect. And I leaned over and said, uh, you're not getting a car and you're not going on a spring break unsupervised with your friends. Good, we'll start that early, okay? So those were red light things. We, I, I said it to them in the womb. I said it to them all through, through grade school, high school, and they knew it. And what was great about that is they knew that it didn't bother, it, it wasn't worth the effort to even ask for those things. Now, yellow lights were, were a little bit different. Those were things that uh, might have been in the red zone at one time, but as they'd gotten older, we'd sort of figured out, okay, now we might be willing to talk about this. For instance, uh, I remember when my son uh, was in junior high, he had a curfew of, I think it was like 9.30 or something like that. And that's what all his friends had. But as they had gotten older, the curfew moved. And so all of a sudden, his friends, their curfew was now 10 o'clock. And he's like, well, how come I can't stay out till, till 10 o'clock? Well, because like, your curfew's at 9.30. And, and so we just kept saying, it's, that's, that's the way it is. That's the way we do in our family. And, so one day he comes down with this sheet of paper and it's written out, he had written out all the arguments about why he should be able to change his curfew to 10 o'clock. And we're like, okay, I think we'll listen to this. And we sat down and, and we said, all right, we're, we're gonna, we'll do this on a trial basis. We'll see how you do with this. And so uh, we let him stay out till, till 10 o'clock and he met our expectations. And so his new curfew was, was 10 o'clock. So those are the, the yellow light things. And then green light things would be things like, um, things that we might have an opinion on, but we still let them choose, okay? It could be uh, what clothes they're gonna wear uh, as they got older, what movies they got to go to, uh, what music they listened to, uh, what games they would play on their, their game system. Now those were sometimes hard for us because they didn't always make the best choices. Uh, one of the things I told my son, I, I gave him the, uh, this website, it was called Plugged In, that had uh, ratings of movies from a Christian perspective. And I said, I'll tell you what, you do the research, if you think it's a worthwhile thing for you to see, then come and talk to me. And so uh, there would be times his friends would call up and they'd say, hey, we're going to go to this movie, you want to go? And he'd go, I'll, I'll check and get back to you. And then he'd go look it up 
And he'd call him back up and go, you know, I don't think that's going to be a good movie for us. What about this one? He would suggest other things. We're like, all right. Now, that didn't always work very well with the, the game stuff. I don't know, you know, they, they would get into games that just made me uncomfortable, but you can only do so much at certain times. Uh, there was a comedian one time, he said, I want to invent a game called Super Hospital 2 that takes care of all the people that get killed in the other games. And that, that's, that's kind of the way I sometimes felt as well. So anyway, um, so as kids go through these things and, and we give them these responsibilities to do this, they, there's, a, there's some things that they learn. They learn responsibility for themselves. Just going to make sure we're on at the time here. Um, sorry about that. My watch broke, so I'm now having to do this. And I still don't see it. Anybody? Oh, okay, there it is. All right, we're good. Um, sorry about that. Uh, kids learn responsibility for themselves. They learn self-discipline. They learn how to delay gratification and how to wait. Uh, they begin to know the difference between what they want and what they need. And they learn self-control, okay? So the next part of laying that foundation is effective discipline. And this was a big one on the surveys that people had. They wanted to know how, how to effectively discipline our kids. So we're going to spend a little time talking about this. And again, this is one of those things that will change as your kids grow up. What you do when they're three years old is going to be different from when they're 13. But I think some of these, these principles uh, can be helpful uh, as we do this in, in effective discipline. Um, when when uh, our boys were little, little, we planted a tree in the backyard, a little sapling tree, and, and uh, I don't know, after a storm or something, the tree started uh, tilting. It was growing up kind of at an angle, and, and I didn't know what to do about it. I thought, maybe I should just cut it down. But I called a friend of mine who's a, a landscape designer, and, and I said, hey, is there anything I can do with this? He said, well, yeah, you, you know, if it's not too old, you can still change the, the way it grows. And so uh, he told me how we loosen up the soil to uh, allow the, the, the root system to have some room to move, and then we put some cables on it and slowly uh, pulled that tree. And it took the entire growing season before it got straight again. But I think this is what discipline looks like. You see something that's crooked, and you say, hmm, we got to fix that. And so you find some different things to do. You loosen that soil a little bit, and you begin slowly pulling. We didn't pull real hard at first. It took some time. And we recognized that it was a patient thing that we had to do. Okay, And that's what discipline is. It's, it's not punishment. Discipline is not punishment. Discipline comes from the same word as disciple, to guide them, to get them to where you want to go. When I used to say to my kids, you're going to get it, it wasn't punishment. It's like, we're going to stick at this until you get it, until you understand what we expect of you and what God expects of you. This is what we're going to try to do. So how do we, how do we figure out how to do this? One of the things that somebody told me one time is, look at the top teachers. In fact, if you went to the principal of the school where your kids go to and said, tell me who is the top teacher in your school? Who's the person that year after year, doesn't matter what kids are in the classroom, but they have the least discipline problems in the school? They're going to point to somebody and they're going to say, this person or that person every year has good discipline. And you can learn from them because they have something in common. And this is what the, 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 I think they have. They're authoritative, but they're not authoritarian. 
They're not coming down hard on kids. But kids know they're in charge. They show leadership. They know what they're doing. They come prepared. Um, kids know what the rules are, and they know that they're bound by them. They don't, they don't push the boundaries in that, okay? They, they know who it is. Uh, and, they, and that person lets reality be the teacher. Gosh, I'm sorry that you, you didn't get your homework done. We're going to have you stay in during recess while the other kids go out, and you can finish that because that's the rules that we have. Let reality be the teacher. They don't use reward and punishment. There's no carrot and stick. Um, and, you know, we found when our kids were young, we could use that. You can use reward and punishment when your kids, kids are little. Say, you know what, if you don't finish everything on your plate, you're not going to go outside and play. You know? I tried that later with my kids. If you don't finish that homework, we're not going to go out and shoot baskets. What do you think they did? I don't care. I don't want to shoot baskets. You're like, oh, that didn't work. Okay? That doesn't work anymore. The reward and punishment works great for dogs, not for kids. They will outlast you. Okay? They can outlast you. Uh, your dog can be trained. In fact, what, what we found is our, our kids might have been like dogs when they were little, but then they turn into cats. Okay? You just can't get them to do anything that you want. So reward and punishment doesn't, doesn't work. So how do we discipline? Uh, so the things that um, that top teacher does, well, one of the things that they do too is, um, let's see, I think I've got some of these up here. Uh, they evaluate and, and adjust. As kids are getting older, they recognize that well, what works for one is not going to always work for the other. And so they have to adjust as they go, uh, try to figure out what's going to work, what's going to be the best thing uh, for them. Okay. Um, the next one is they let reality be the teacher. And I mentioned this already, that we just allow the consequences to happen. And this is such an important thing uh, for us to, to know. And, and you know, you did that when your kids were little uh, and they started walking. You didn't hold them up the entire time. We let them fall, didn't we? And then they would pull themselves back up and that's how they learned to walk. Kids learn from the mistakes they make. But unfortunately, we, we too often try to jump in and help them. Um, I had a, a great night the other night. I got to meet with our counselors who are coming out to our camp in a, in a couple weeks. And uh, so these are high school and college kids. And I asked them, I said, hey, I'm, I'm speaking to a group of parents uh, on Wednesday. What do you think parents need to hear? What do, what do parents need to know? And, and I wanted to share what they said because I think these are, are really helpful for us. And the first kid that raised his hand, he said, you know what he said? He said, let us fail. So we, we need to be able to fail. Too often, you're coming to rescue us. Let us fail. Somebody else said, sometimes my, our parents' expectations cause real anxiety for us. They have all these expectations about school and sports and different things and what college we're going to get into. Uh, and it just causes anxiety. It's not helpful. Um, and I like this one, too. They said, we don't tell you, but we really appreciate you. They might not tell you, but they really do appreciate you. Another one said, be patient with us, because we're trying to figure out a lot of stuff right now. Another one said, when we're grumpy and upset, let us be grumpy and upset. You don't need to get involved in everything. We just need some time to figure th some things out. And then they said, don't be afraid to have real conversations with us about tough stuff. 
And I know that can be a difficult thing. One of the things that I realized with my son Dan is he wasn't a very talkative person. But I realized that his, his love language, and if you, if you don't know what love languages are, uh, look up the book Love Languages by Gary Chapman, The Love Languages of Children, The Love Languages of Teenagers, really good, helpful stuff. But I realized my, my son Dan, his love language was quality time. And so he would be sitting in his room doing homework or whatever. <clears throat> I'd walk into his room and I'd kind of sit down on his bed like I was looking for something. And I'd start reading the magazine and just kind of do this. And I'd sit there for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And he, he just, he knew I was there. And all of a sudden you go, hey dad, did I tell you about? Hey dad, did you see this? Hey dad, have you ever? And all of a sudden we start having these conversations. And I found out that he just needed to be around me for a while before he could open up. Now Tim was different, he, his love language is physical touch. I remember one time I was laying on the couch after a football game watching the Vikings or something, and I kind of fell asleep, and all of a sudden I felt Tim laying on top of me. And I kind of wake up and he goes, is this uncomfortable? I go, no, he goes, good, because I'm going to be here a while. Okay, he needed, he needed that touch to, to be able to open up, okay? Um, so kids want to have those real conversations with us, all right? Um, you know, just a few years ago, I remember school uh, teachers and that sort of thing complaining about helicopter parents. You've heard that term. Do you know what the new term that they're calling us? Snowplow parents. Because parents aren't hovering anymore, they are now clearing the way for kids. They're trying to take away every obstacle, everything that's in front of them, to make sure that they have the, the smoothest, easiest life possible. I have a nephew, he's, a, he's an assistant principal at a junior high school. He was telling me last year, he called up a parent, he said, uh, I need you to come in, uh, your son uh, hit a teacher today. She said he did not. He said, no, ma'am, he, he really did hit a teacher. She said, there's no way that my son hit a teacher. He's like, ma'am, when you come in, I'll show you the video. We, we have it on video. And so she came in and she watched her son slug the teacher. And you know what she said? She goes, well, what did the teacher say to make him do that? Put the blame all on the teacher, okay? Those snowplow parents, it's not helping kids. In fact, it's hurting them. I, I, I was talking with a friend the other day um, she's about 28 years old and she has a, a friend her same age who works at an HR, in the HR uh, department of a company. And believe it or not, last week she got a phone call from a mom of a candidate that they were looking to hire and she wanted to know why her daughter did not get a second interview. Can you believe that? Isn't that amazing? Like, we need to back off a little bit because it's not helping our kids, okay? So let reality be the teacher. When I was about eighth grade, um, I would wait. I, I was kind of one of those kids who would sleep in, and my mom would come down. She'd come down about four or five times. You gotta get up. You gotta go to school. You gotta get up. You gotta go to school. Come on, come on. Let's go. Come on. Get. And I was like, just whatever. And I knew she'd keep coming down. And, and when the voice got to a certain pitch, I knew that was the time to get up, right? So one night she said to me, she said, "I'm not. I'm not coming down. I'm coming down once. If you don't get up, it's your own fault." I didn't believe her. The next morning she came down and woke me up. I said, all right. And I waited for her to come back again. And she didn't come back again. And I woke up about half an hour late for school and she said, you can walk. That was the last time that I was ever late for school. Let reality be the teacher. Okay. I'll skip through a couple of these other things. Oh, this is my, my nephew's son. This is reality being the teacher. 
And guess who got to clean it up? Right there. Okay. Um, respond, don't react. You don't need to answer to things right away. You can think about it a little bit. Come up with a solution. One of my friends decided their kids wouldn't clean up their room, so they cleaned out their room. Didn't clean up their room, they cleaned it out. They took everything out but a mattress. And so when you can learn to be responsible for the few things, you'll start getting things back. And the three boys eventually learn to keep their room clean. Okay? 84B is basically, hey, once you get this done, then you can do this. You finish your homework, then you can watch TV. Don't let kids roll over on that. Be consistent uh, with the expectations and how you respond. And time, this is an important thing. We're so busy in our lives that sometimes we get too busy for our kids. One time I drove, as I was busy doing some stuff, I saw a little kid on the side of the road and I drove right past him and I thought, what was that kid doing out all by himself? I finally turned around, I went up to him, I pulled over the car and I went up to him and I said, what's your name? He said, Robert. I said, Robert, how old are you? He said, I'm two. I said, what are you doing out here on this highway? He said, I just want to go home. It was a lost child. And I was so busy, I drove right past him. And you know what? We do that with our kids as well. Our kids come in and they ask us something. We're like, well, what, what? And you get this, never mind. Because we're too busy to spend the time with them. And then finally, surround yourself with support. We don't parent alone. And that's the great thing about you being here tonight, is there's other people that can do this with you, that want to be part of your life. The Search Institute says we need five, to, every kid needs five to ten adults in their life besides their parents. And so if you don't have other adults in your life, I'd encourage you to find them. Find people who can come around you, come around your kids, and, and it can make such a difference. I'll tell you one quick story at the end before we close. So this is something Lynn and I thought, we wanted to create something for our kids as a milestone at graduation. And so I asked my son, Dan, I said, hey, can you walk 10 miles. He said, I could walk 10 miles. I said, good, I'm going to send you on a 10-mile hike just before graduation. So the Sunday before graduation, uh, we took him over to Lake Harriet in South Minneapolis and said, all right, you're going to start walking 10 miles. We got a map for you. But what he didn't know is that each mile marker, we put somebody in his life that's been part of his life for the last 18 years to walk another mile with him. And they spent that mile talking about life, talking about school, talking about the future. One of the, the people that was there was his first camp counselor. I told his parents, gosh, we really wanted to have Peter come and be his, uh, one of his walkers, but he's in Chicago, he's at school. His parents said, we'll fly him up. For a 20-minute walk? Absolutely. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, these people who have been part of his life. And we did it for our son, Tim, too. It was one of those moments that they will never forget that reminded them they're not alone. And I want to remind you that you are not alone. I know it's hard. Parenting can be tough. But God is walking with you. God is there with you. Keep praying for your kids. Hang in there. And I know we could have covered a lot more tonight, but uh, hopefully there's a few things in there, some nuggets you can take uh, with you. So, Brenda, I'll turn it back over to you. Thank you. I can use this picture. No, you're good. Okay. Uh, January 22nd, we're having family service night. 
This is not a class night, so your kids are not going to 